Sports are such a big part of all of our lives, from the big plays to the unforgettable games. They continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors and heroes of our time, when the game is finally over and the sport they love and worked their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. Welcome back to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. This episode, it's going to blow your mind. Mike Adams is the guest and I connected with him over Instagram just a few months ago. Um, Noticed he was a yogi, former NFL player. So we connected obviously through that and we've connected um, since then. And he's actually joining the Heart Collective as um, the yoga slash breath work creator, providing value in that way, which I'm really excited to have him on board because he's really focused on this next phase of his life. But I didn't really realize how insane his story actually is. And it's so incredible that we talked about his journey through football on this episode. And we're actually going to do a second part where we talk, we talk more about his transition, but you're going to want to listen to this episode. This is going to give you a peek behind kind of the dirty, dark side of the NFL. And as a player, the conflict of interest when it comes to our health, the doctors, and how we're treated at times. And every team's different. Every medical personnel and upfront office person is different. There's a lot of good people in the NFL, but I think the system creates this conflict of interest for us players. And there is some people that are not looking out for us. And Mike's journey is incredible. Um, he not only deals with an up and down career after being a top draft pick, uh, top player in college, top player out of high school, but he also, uh, has a personal journey of getting jumped and stabbed and his journey through that almost dying and coming back, having PTSD. And he really shares towards the end, how yoga really saved his life. And this is just all the first part or second, second episode of, uh, I'm going to bring Mike on. We're going to do a part two and we're going to talk about more of the journey with yoga and all the tools that he's learned to overcome all these difficult challenges. You know, it's just so cool. I'm so glad he shared so openly and honestly, a lot of people, you know, look at athletes from a distance or through the lens of, you know, the media and they, you know, judge them, think they have it easy, but we all have our own issues and it's really how we handle these things and these circumstances that we're faced with. Um, you know, how we learn from them, grow from them, handle failure. And Mike's just truly inspiring me. I just got done with the conversation and, Wow, you guys are really going to enjoy this. I hope you uh, hope you get a lot out of it. And without further ado, this is Mike Adams. All right, Mike, what's up, brother? Hey, hey, appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to dive in. It's always nice to find somebody. I know we connected just very recently, but I mean, the first call we got on was saw you on Instagram, all your yoga. It just felt super aligned. And then getting to know you just briefly, I'm excited to dive more into your story and 
and get to know you on a deeper level and, and go on this journey together. Um, but anybody that, you know, left the NFL and found yoga and the power of it, I'm just really excited to kind of hear more about your journey. Um, but before we start, let's, let's kind of give you some space to share um, a little bit about who you are, your journey through your sports career, maybe like where you started, how you fell in love with the game, all the way up into your transition, and then we'll dive into more of the transition stuff. Cool. Um, all right. Well, yeah, Mike Adams, uh, originally from uh, Farrell, Pennsylvania, small steel mill town, uh, about an hour north of Pittsburgh. Um, very much one of those like Western PA football towns, you know. So I started playing there when I was six. Um, moved to Columbus, Ohio, uh, middle school age, end of elementary school, middle school. Played all played there all through my childhood, and then uh, went to Dublin Kaufman High School. Um, which was kind of where football, you know, high school is when football takes that big turn for, you know, into something kind of a little more serious. Um, so my times at Dublin Kaufman, I was, uh, you know, like USA Today, Parade All-American, all that kind of stuff. And um, like number number three ranked overall player and uh, coming out, had offers from everywhere, but was in love with the hometown school, you know what I mean? Um, so I went to Ohio State to play for Jim Tressel. Um, mm. What was that journey like being such a top-rated player out of high school? Oh, dude, it was pretty crazy. And being like, um, you know, growing up in such a football town like Columbus with the Buckeyes right there, it was uh, it was a lot of attention really early. You know what I mean? So, um, but it was it was good. It was um, I think in high school and stuff, I handled it pretty well. Um, I mean, as good as you can handle it, and um, you know, just really appreciated uh, the platform that I've been given at that time. Uh, and started doing a lot of stuff in the community, um, working with kids in middle schools and elementary schools and stuff like that. And just really tried to use it as a uh, as a positive experience and to you know help out kids you know that were in the same middle school or elementary schools that I went to. That's awesome, man. So then you decided to go to Ohio State after having all these offers, want to stay close to home. I know yeah. at a young as a young kid it's it's nice to to stay home. I don't know how guys you know decide to leave their families and go across the country. I feel like you know a lot of high schoolers it is this kind of local trying to stay close to home to the local college. So talk a little bit about that journey uh, into Ohio State and your career there. Oh dude, heck yeah. So like I am 100% like 110% mama's boy, right? You know, what I mean, always have been uh raised by a single mother for the most part and um and so when it came time to decide between the, you know, like it was USC, Pete Carroll at USC, Les Miles at LSU, Urban Meyer at Florida, Jim Trestle at Ohio State. And, um, oh, goodness. Yeah, like those are pretty much my top ones. But I, uh, I couldn't, couldn't leave mom behind, you know, didn't want to. Didn't want to leave all my friends behind. A lot of kids I went to school with were going to Ohio State, all that stuff. Uh, I had a high school teammate who was also an All-American going to Ohio State with me. And, um, you know, just really, really loved the place, fell in love with the, with the coach and all that kind of stuff. And he was one of those guys who was always a lot more interested in uh, our development as people, not players, which was like completely backwards from all the rest of recruiting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, yeah, it was just seeing the way that he treated everybody on the team really made me want to go there. And then 
Um, you know, my time at Ohio State was amazing. Absolutely love that place. It's uh, probably the place I hold nearest and dearest to my heart out of anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, we won a lot of games, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl, lost the Fiesta Bowl and the Gator Bowl, um, you know, big games against Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, all that kind of stuff. It, it was uh, it was a heck of a deal. Good times, huh? Heck of a man. What was that? What years did you play there? Uh, 08 to 12. Okay. Yeah. So nice. we started out losing to Colt McCoy in the Fiesta Bowl my mm. freshman year. And then uh, beat Oregon in a Rose Bowl. And then Ryan Mallett in the Arkansas Razorbacks in the uh, Sugar Bowl. And that was uh, a year where I was involved in like a little NCAA free tattoo memorabilia scandal. Tell me more about that. What happened with that? Like shook the world. It was uh, it was all crazy. Well, uh, so it was like our freshman year. Um, you know, a couple of us or a bunch of us. Really, I mean, yeah, a few of us met like a guy who owned a tattoo parlor in town, all that stuff. And you know, he's like, "Yeah, man, you guys want to get you know some tats or whatever? Just come on down. You know what I mean? Like sign a football or whatever, and whatever's free." And so, you know, guys from the team, you know, we started going there. We're like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Don't like, have money for your own tattoos. Go get some free yeah, ones. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and then like, you know, we were down there hanging out and like start to notice like this guy has a shit ton of memorabilia. Like, a mm. ton. like he's got rings, jerseys, all that kind of like everything. You know what I mean? And, um, so, you know, he offers to buy some stuff from guys and some of us sold jerseys, rings, whatever. And uh, three years later, we're getting ready for the Sugar Bowl, you know, those early morning bowl practices. And um, it was like a week after the all-conference teams were announced and all that stuff. And we're all just kind of sitting there stretching after practice. And, uh, you know, our player development guy starts going around and like tapping guys on the shoulder. And he taps like all the first team, all Big Ten guys, you know, all that stuff. And then he tapped a guy who didn't start. We were all just kind of like, oh, what's this? Like, what is this crew? And he's like, yeah, the AD would like to see you after uh, after practice or whatever. And so we all, uh, you know, we leave practice, get changed. And um, the NCAA people were there and they come get us and they walk us to a room, sit us all down, tell us we're not allowed to talk to each other. And they're like, we'll call you in one at a time. And we're like, man, what? Hold on. We're talking. Wow. Like, you and we're all like, you guys had no idea what was going on. We had no clue. Like just complete shock. I, at first we thought it was going to be something for like all big 10, you know, all that stuff. Cause of who they but were. But just tapping. one guy that didn't play was there. Yeah, like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and so, yeah, they bring us, you know, one by one, take you in a room and, um, you know, it's just straight interrogation style. You know what I mean? You got, you know, NCAA people and lawyers and uh, the AD and, um, you know, the head ball coach. And uh, they got a piece of paper on top of a stack of papers and they you flip it open and it's like what you sold, your tattoos, whatever. And I guess this guy had been part of a federal investigation, the guy who owned the tattoo shop. And yeah. uh, they raided his house. And they found all of our stuff in his safe. And so they thought he stole it. And he's like, no, I bought it from him. It's all good, you know? And so then they 
you know, the FBI sends a report to the school and they're like, yeah, we have your player stuff. Like they can get it back if it's stolen or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, he said he bought it. That's an NCAA violation. We got a self-report. And so, wow. What was the, what was the federal investigation for on this guy? Uh, I think it was like, so like maybe like money laundering or maybe drugs. Yeah. Or something. So it's like nothing related with you guys oh, or the team or anything at all. No, no. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. So they, uh, self, you know, self report or whatever. And then the NCAA came in and man, they, uh, they decided to let us play in the sugar bowl, the five of us or whatever. And, uh, the guy who wasn't a starter who got tapped, he ended up having a game winning interception at the oh, end, nice. which was wild. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, um, yeah, we got to play, but then they ended up suspending the quarterback for, well, they ended up kicking the quarterback out of school, suspending the, uh, the wide out for 10 games, running back for six games, me for five games. All the following um, year. Yeah, the DN for five games. Our coach. Why was it different? Is just a, the amount that you guys got, or dude? So, uh, pretty much, yeah. It was like different stuff, and then like a couple other little things started popping up for other guys. You mm-hmm. know, maybe they got like I, I honestly I don't even know what what their stuff was, but you know they signed some autographs or some shit like that. How'd you, how'd you deal with that when you, I know when we're so young, I, I just got suspended for, for a couple games for some different reasons. It was more of like, I, I, I had a, a personal foul problem when I was playing at UNLV because we were so bad and I was so frustrated. I was one of the best players on the team. And you know, when you're playing football, like or we can, I, I played at a really good high school. We went to the state championship my year and then I played at UNLV and I was just really struggling to deal with how much losing and how much we're getting our ass kicked. And that would show up as, you know, me at the end of games getting personal fouls. And so they ended up suspending me just for a couple quarters, but I was missing starts and that really had an impact on me. Cause like the one thing that we love so much at that time and they take it away. So how did you deal with that when you actually got the suspension came through? Oh dude, it was, um, it was absolutely terrible. But yeah, it was, uh, I think I was, I forget what break that was. Break that would be veterans day. Maybe I was at home. And or no, this would be after veterans. I don't know, but I was at home on some break, like Christmas break or whatever, for ball practice, and they announced it on TV what they were going to do, and uh, or well, yeah, what they were going to do, and like I was just like crushed. Five games, senior year, like, um, and they announced it before the bowl game, so then I'm automatically thinking like, man, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to leave. I was a projected first rounder anyways that year. You know what I mean? And, uh, but then my mom and my head football coach stepped in, you know, like coach didn't want us to leave. So he actually made us, um, he made us sign a contract before the sugar bowl saying that if we played in the game, we'd stay in school the next year, which was pretty Got you. Yeah. Like he, he knew that he was going to be gone and he told us it was up to us to like, you know, be there and, you know, write the ship and all that. And then my mom as well, when I told her I wanted to leave, she was like, no way, man. Like you started this, you, you know, this is partially your fault. So you got to stay here and, you know, see it through. And, uh, you know, which I have all the respect for, you know, I'm glad that she took that stance and everything because it would have been an easy way out to just, 
you know, go to the league, make a bunch of money and never have to worry about it again. But, um, so looking back on it, do you feel like you made the right decision? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, look, and you know, I, I think I'm one of those guys who thinks everything happens for a reason. So, um, you know, I think staying that extra year, sliding to the second round, going to Pittsburgh, you know, I grew up an hour north of Pittsburgh, Steelers fan, the, the high school and the middle school and peewee team where I started playing is the Farrell Steelers. You know, my family could all come see me play, all that stuff. And I think if, uh, you know, if I leave the year before, I might might not have ended up there, might not have had that experience, might not have the friends I have today, you know, all that great stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I'm super grateful for that experience, that journey. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's dive into that a little bit. So you, so that's the reason you kind of fell. You were projected first rounder and that was like the character thing that made you fall, even though it was not a big deal at all. I also failed the compound drug test for two nanograms of weed over the limit. Wow. Times have yeah. changed, huh? I mean, it was such a bigger deal back then, right? Oh, I quit smoking for like seven and a half weeks, but I have been smoking so much weed for so long that like, you know, I'm like a 325 pound guy at the time. I guess like that just wasn't it. And I took, I took like an at home drug test before I left to go to the combine passed it, but the levels are different. Uh, You you filled it at the combine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, bro. Yeah. Terrible. Talk about an experience. Bro. My 22nd birthday um, is the day after my pro day. Right. And so the combine goes pretty decent. Pro day goes really well. It's uh, March 9th. My birthday is March 10th. I wake up on the morning of March 10th, having figured, yeah, I just solidified like my top 15 pick status. And uh, my mom calls me, it's like 9 a.m. And I'm like, what's up, mom? Thinking she's going to be like, you know, happy birthday, you know, all that. And she's like, we got a letter from the NFL. And I'm like, oh, cool. What's it say? And uh, she's like, it says you failed your drug test for marijuana. I was like, I laid there. I'm in my college apartment, you know what I mean? My uh, my boys and from home and stuff are all there, like sleeping in the living room because my birthday's that day. And they all came to pro day. And then um, I just like closed my eyes and I was like, ah, oh. I was like, does it say like what the levels were? And she was like, yeah, the cutoff was 15 and you failed for 17. Oh. And, yeah, and I was just like, oh, fuck, like, Sorry, and I uh, and it's I okay. just and I just like I was like, look, I gotta I gotta lay down. It's <laughs> mm, heavy. I, I just like hung the phone up, laid there in my bed, was just like, oh god, like damn, like yesterday was like the best day ever, and now today, and like my family was all there, like we were about to <laughs> go on birthday lunch at noon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I'm sitting here with this heavy news on me. I get to all my boys are downstairs. So like I told them, you know what I mean? They're the only people who knew. And then like we're at birthday dinner and I got like my aunt who's a pastor, my grandpa, my grandma, my mom. Yeah. And like people were giving me, we're not mad. We're just disappointed kind of thing. Well, they didn't even know yet. I like, Bro, so you're yeah, just holding cool. on to this heavy news, and they're like, "What's wrong with it? What's wrong? Are you okay?" Oh yeah, they're giving me birthday gifts and congratulating wow. me for pro day yesterday, and like all of that. And I'm just like sitting there, just 
wanted to die inside, like just going through it. Yeah, man. And then I ended up telling them all like that night. And it was just like, yeah. But how'd you process that? How long did it take? I mean, because obviously then you start hearing probably on the news that came out and the media oh, and the teams you're talking to. And I think it's fascinating just to side note that something like that can cost you, you know, and a lot of people that don't know, I mean, going from a 15 top 15 pick to a second round pick is millions of dollars lower. So it's not only affecting you financially. Eight million between my slot and where I... How much was it? I think it was like seven or eight million. Wow. See, yeah. like, so this had a huge impact bigger than just... Oh, I few fell a few slots. I still got an opportunity. Like most people, would be like, oh, first round pick, second round pick. At least you're still playing in the NFL. You're a top top pick. So, how did you process that going forward? From um, that moment? Well, it was uh, it was such a it was such a weird deal. And like, so Pittsburgh had like I think the 15th pick or something. And I had met with them. They Coach Tomlin and Kevin Colbert, the GM, came to my pro day. Sat with my mom. We had like this real cool relationship going. I had a feeling they were going to pick me, you know what I mean? I was like really excited about it. So, um, you know, I called my agent, told him, and the first thing I did uh, was I called Coach Tommy. And I was like, hey, Coach, like, I fucked up, man. Like, I just want, I want to be open and honest with you. Like, I feel like there's a chance you guys were going to draft me, and I still want that to be the case. You know what I mean? Like, I'll do all. So I actually didn't even call him and tell him that. I called him and told him I wanted to come talk to him in person. And I drove, yeah, and I drove to Pittsburgh and sat down and told him. Wow. Him and Kevin Colbert. I'm sure they respected that. And that's probably a big reason why they ended up drafting you still a pick later, huh? Yeah, 100%. Like, Mike Tomlin, bro, him and Kevin Colbert sat there for about an hour and a half, two hours, just reaming me. Just letting me have it, telling me how stupid I was. And like, bro, it was like the worst day ever. Wow. Absolutely ridiculous. And, uh, you know, and they were like, all right, here's what you got to do. You got to like go see a doctor, get a, you know, like, like a psychiatrist and get like a note written that says that you don't have an addiction problem and like all this stuff. And yeah. And uh, and then we'll maybe we'll put you back on our board. And, wow. Yeah. And so like at this time, like nobody else knew, no teams or anything. Like the only reason teams find out is because it gets leaked. I don't know. If yep. you that, but yeah. So I'm pretty sure that uh, you know whenever I told them, they uh, they ended up leaking it. So because so then they know that you're going to fall. Other teams won't yeah. get you, and then they can still get a really talented player for a dumbass reason, like smoking weed. I, th- I find it so fascinating. If they actually knew, which I, I they have Bro, to know at some level, how many people actually smoke weed in the NFL? When I sat in that room that day with them, like telling them what I did, they were like, Mike, everyone in our, everyone in that locker room smokes weed, but you can't get caught. <laughs> that's, that's such bullshit. It's all perception, right? Oh, it's like wow. the, they just care what people think and that view of you. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then they, so dirty, the dirty part of the business, they go leak it so they know that you're going to fall. Then they get basically two first round picks. Then they get Dave DeCastro at number one and me at number two, two linemen. Worked out. Yeah. It was, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, it was a good deal for them. And, you know, like I said, you know, like I obviously didn't mind going to Pittsburgh. So it was, 
it was all good for me. I was beyond excited. It was so dope. I had a big, huge draft party in Columbus, all my friends and family, like the whole, the whole deal had a great time. And, uh, so let's yeah. talk about that. Let's, let's go into getting drafted to Pittsburgh and then getting into the NFL, which is a dream come true, I'm sure. And the journey, obviously a part of your journey and dream being such a highly touted player out of high school. So you kind of had this as your, you know, North Star this entire time. You finally get drafted and talk about, you know, your career into the NFL. I want to talk about the challenges. I had, a, you know, it's a lot, it's really challenging. I know you're really really good and really highly touted, but going from college into the pros and fitting into a locker room with so many, like these, all these grown ass men that have been doing it for so long. And it comes with a lot of challenges and a lot of, you know, there's like fear there, there's self-limiting beliefs. There's being able to fit in with like, you know, late twenties, early thirties guys with families, guys have been doing it for so long. And then you're a highly touted guy with a lot of heavy expectations on you to, to perform. Talk about that journey a little bit. Oh, bro, that, that's exactly it. It's like everybody, the, the age range is so different in the NFL than anything you're used to from playing football. You know, you're used to playing with guys who are within the same four-year window. You know what I mean? And then you get to the league. And, like, I think the first conversation that I even had, like, in the football facil- facility as, like, a member of the team was, I got done working out by myself and then uh, I was in the shower and like Troy Palomalu walks in and he's like, Hey man, he's like, you're Mike, right? And I'm just like, yeah, man. You know, he's like, welcome to the team, man. Like, you know, he's like, uh, and it was so funny. The first thing he asked me about, he was like, he's like, so you smoke weed? And I was like, no, I was like, uh, He's like, you failed the test, right? And I was like, yeah. He was like, you're going to be cool. Like, he's like, they got you in the program. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're going to be all right with that? And I was like, yeah, dude, I'll be, I'll be cool. He's like, well, if you need anything, bro, like, just let me know, man. Like, if you need any help or anything, just holler. And I was like, dude, that's oh. Troy <laughs> Yeah. I had a similar experience with, with Tony Gonzalez. That was like the only guy I like, when I met him, I was like, holy shit, this is like one of the best players to ever play the tight end. Yeah, and I was going to be like, holy shit. Like this guy was, when I was in third grade is when he got drafted. And yeah. now I'm playing with him. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I looked at Troy. And I had like, when I got to Pittsburgh, dude, we had like a Hall of Fame cast there still. You know what I mean? Yeah. We still had Troy Palomalu, James Harrison, the uh, Brett Kiesels, and like all those guys. So it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty cool. Casey Hampton, like... You know, it was, uh, it was pretty wild. It was a like very veteran locker room. And um, I, yeah, I love that about the place. It was uh, quite the experience, especially growing up as a Steelers fan. Totally. Like, like you said, like those guys all got drafted when I was in like middle school, elementary school. So yeah. I grew up watching them all and then I'm on the team with them. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Talk about that journey, integrating and playing with them. I know for me, it was, it was hard to earn their real respect until you were out there on the field, like competing with them. I know the first like off season and training camp, it's kind of hard because it's like, well, is this kid going to actually contribute? Is he going to be able to perform? And then until you're actually out there and it's in their best interest to support you and try and get the best most out of you. Uh, you know, I, I felt for me until I finally earned that respect and the way I was playing on the field is when I really finally started fitting in with the group. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, um, 
it was totally like, so I started off my rookie year pretty, pretty hot. I, uh, got into camp and there was like, a you're playing right tackle, left tackle, um, left at first and then started playing both started a okay. bunch of games, right. And then did some swing and tight end and all that stuff. But just to set up later on, how much did you weigh and how big are you in your frame at that position? Oh, dude. So at my biggest, I was like 358 pounds. Holy shit. Right at about 360. And uh, I, that was like after my rookie year, we were like traveling a bunch as an O-line, eating and drinking, you know, like we're mm. in Vegas and then Hawaii for the Pro Bowl and, you know, just eating a lot. Did and you make the Pro Bowl your first year? I didn't. I didn't. Have you ever made the Pro Bowl? No, no. No. You guys, a couple of linemen, did a lineman make it and they brought you all out? Yeah, Marquise Bouncy. Nice, nice. That's yeah. dope. Yeah, I do. So my rookie year, yeah, started off hot in camp. Uh, got an opportunity uh, to take reps with the ones pretty early, you know what I mean? And um, did well. Um, went into my first preseason game and just like, first preseason game for me sucked. Mm. Dude, gave up a strip sack and got my, like recovered it and got my helmet knocked off. <laughs> then had a then had a guy uh, fall on my knee, sprained my MCL, had to come out. All in one play. No, it was like a, it was probably like a twelve play series. Oh, the infamous strip sack, every lineman's worst nightmare. Oh, it was terrible, and uh, but yeah, so it started out like that, but then quickly picked up, and I started playing, started starting a bunch of games, and ended up winning uh, the uh, rookie of the year for the Steelers. And nice, yeah, and then uh, I went on IR like week eleven or something. Had. Uh, a huge guy, you probably remember him, Phil Taylor from the Browns. Dude, mm. him, he's like a 360-pound man and our quarterback. I'm engaged blocking. Someone got beat on the other side, and they both fall in the back of the legs, got rolled up real bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, bro, I thought, I thought the ankle was just snapped. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was just a really bad high ankle, all the ligaments torn and stuff. And, Shit. Uh, yeah, so that ended my rookie year, and then, uh, which was, uh, you know, it was a good year. I was sad that it ended badly, but you know, played well enough to win win the rookie of the year. Had a big impact in the run game, especially, and like uh, just moving people out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I was doing. Yeah, I was doing a really good job it. physically. You know what mm. I mean? Uh, mentally, I was not all there yet. You know what I'm saying? I just wasn't wasn't a pro you know what i mean yeah yeah it takes time yeah exactly i was still pretty immature and childish um and then in the off season first off season you know it's going great all that ota startup and then i get freaking i'm out on a friday night and i get stabbed in the stomach okay so tell me a little bit more about this how did this happen goodness dude so i'm out drinking with friends like all day you know what i'm saying like I live in Pittsburgh. It's like super hilly, like not as bad as San Francisco, but same type of stuff, you know? And so I live straight up this street from like the main drag and the side of town where the practice facility is, the South side, I live straight up this mountain about like 10 blocks. You know what I'm saying? It's not a walk that you want to take, but you know, whatever. But so I would drive down and I would valet park at this sushi restaurant all the time. 
And I, uh, I tell him just leave my keys in the truck. It's like I got the number pad or whatever. And mm-hmm. this was like before Uber, you know, we didn't have yeah. taxis in Pittsburgh either. They had what's called a jitney, which is just like a regular person from in town who gives people rides after the bars close. Wow. Yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. like walker. The things we take for granted now, you know, pressing exactly. a button on your phone and getting a ride. Exactly, dude. And so I'm uh, I'm out with friends like all day. We're out day drinking, hanging out, chilling. You know what I mean? It's Friday in June. Friday, May 31st. And, uh, you know, it gets to be like late night and we're all, uh, going to get Jimmy John's before we go home. We're all, you know, we're drunk. spoken like a true lineman. Yeah, exactly. So you I probably go, got two sandwiches, huh? So I got a gargantuan, no veggies on wheat. Woo. With a lemonade and salt and vinegar. Chip. Good times, huh? Yep. And the, well, the great part about it, we're walking in, I found a $20 bill on the floor. I'm like, oh, dude, it's our lucky day. Free Jimmy John's for the boys. Right. So, yep. go in, we get our sandwiches, and uh, and then we're all like going our separate ways. And my buddies were like, dude, just uh, walk down here to my house. It's like 15 blocks. I'm like, I'm 360 pounds, and it's like May 31st. I'm not walking no blocks, bro. You yeah. know, I was like, they left my keys in the truck and just drive up the hill. I'll be home in five minutes. I'll call it if you guys. And uh, so I go to my truck and like I drive a Ford. So it has that number pad. Mm-hmm. So I get in there and my keys are not in the truck. And I'm like, so I'm sitting there for a second. And it's hot. I'm like crushing some lemonade, finish my sandwich real quick, get out of the car. I'm going to walk to my buddy's house who lives around the corner. And, uh, get out of the car two guys walk up on me like from the front and uh one dude's just like yo is that your truck and i was like yeah man i thought he was gonna be like nice truck or something yeah and it's like 2 30 in the morning so there's people everywhere and uh i was like yeah man and he's like he's like give it up and i was like mean give it up back up bro like you know and uh he's like give it up and he like showed me a gun at his waist and was like, give it up before I shoot you in your face and kill you in front of all these people. And I was just wow. like, fuck. I was like, bro, I was like, don't, like, please don't shoot me, bro. Like, don't kill me, man. Like, uh, you know, like, what the fuck? Like, and um, I was like, I don't even have the keys, bro. Like, and I looked over and there's a third one of them standing on the running boards on the side of my truck. And he's like, yeah, we got a nice one, boys. And I was just like, fuck you, right? Just, you know. Yeah, reaction, huh? Yeah, and then, like, you know, and then my attention goes back to the two guys in front of me, and the other guy's like, no, bro, let me kill him. And I was like, man, like, come on, bro, like, don't fucking shoot me. Like, there's three, oh, there's one of me. I was like, I'll fight you guys. Like, if you guys are just trying, you know, like, I'll fight all three of you guys, but don't fucking shoot me. You know what I mean? Like, please. And, uh, at that time, I hear a guy walking up behind me, and I go like this. And the dude who was standing on the side of my truck like tried to punch me over my shoulder, and I grabbed him. Well, and like when he punched me, I got stabbed in the stomach, but didn't know it. And then I grabbed him by the then, other guy. Yeah, by the by the guy who said, "Let me kill him." And uh, I grabbed the dude who punched me, and I guess the dude was probably trying to stab me again in the chest or something because he cut my arm right here. And uh, they just took off running. And it was, it just happened to be um, right outside of this Cambodian restaurant, 
like across the street from the sushi spot, um, where it was the first place I ever went for drunk food in Pittsburgh with a bunch of the veteran alignment. So mm-hmm. I got real tight with the people who owned it and worked there. And the lady who owned it comes and like, it's all windows, the whole wall's windows. So everyone in the restaurant watched what happened, right? And um, so the lady comes running on the side and she's like, Big Mike, you got stabbed. And I look down and just like bleeding everywhere. Wow. Like, oh, fuck. Right. And um, so I kind of like, you know, just she walked me inside, put it, pulled a chair out in the middle of the restaurant and gave me a towel and got a bottle of peroxide. And I held the towel on myself and she just poured peroxide all over me. And wow. I was just sitting there like, oh, like, like just like are you in any pain at this moment or just the adrenaline's kicking in it just felt like like after i sat there for a minute and there's all these people in there that were eating food just looking at me you know what i mean i'm just like oh god like it just felt like i had a hot fire poker on the very inside of my stomach just like you know yeah so how bad was the stat was really deep Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a quarter of a centimeter or, um, 20 minutes longer. I would have died. Yeah. Really? My, so you were bleeding out. Yeah. I cut my colon in half. So Holy shit. that whole deal of sepsis and all that. So yeah, if it, uh, if it would have went any further, it would have went the whole way through me. So thank God I was fat at the time. Like literally. Yeah, it, was, it was a huge knife, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Big knife, hard stab, soft belly. You know what I'm yeah. And, uh, so yeah, man, I end up, the police come walking over and uh, showed them what happened and uh, like walked outside to wait for the ambulance, showed them like, you know, where, where everything happened, all that. And the guy who jumped up to punch me when he jumped up because he was short, his phone fell out of his pocket and his phone was sitting there on the street. Yeah. Mm. So they, yeah. They arrested him the next morning. He snitched on his friends. Um, we all went to... Dude, this is what's messed up. We all go to court and like six witnesses come say the same thing I say, all that, bro. And then uh, the judge lets a witness who's not on the docket go on the stand the last day of deliberation, super public trial, all that. And this girl just says the opposite, right? And uh, of what everybody said. So they throw the case out. These guys all get out of jail. One gets arrested like a month later for murder. One uh, gets arrested. Two girls are fighting outside of a convenience store. He walks up and shoots one in the leg on video. And the other one arrested for uh, robbing someone at gunpoint outside of a bar. So these are just bad individuals and they had a chance to really put them behind bars for doing this and just, oh man, court system failed there, huh? Yeah, and there's like a big investigation going on about the uh, the judge and one of the defense attorneys in the case where like all these different cases have had this kind of outcome and they're uh, and like one of them is like a super high profile sexual assault case with like 17 underage girls and a dentist wow yeah and they're like drawing all these comparisons to the case and um, they like uh, like lawyers and stuff in Pittsburgh have hit me up about testifying in like a like a big big deal i'm like oh this is going on right now yeah crazy so is this is it like a a single judge or is it kind of a system yeah it's like yeah it's a single judge 
maybe getting paid off or something. I mean, something going on behind the scenes. I mean, obviously, I don't know what it is, but something. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. Are you going to go testify? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If they, if they need me, if they, uh, if I can help, I 100% will. They said if, um, if they can link all these like similarities together, then the 17 girls from that case, their, their case can be retried. Nice. Yeah, so that's good. Um, so, how did you how did you process? I, I mean, I have a few questions. I think one of them that's coming to me is when they when they were let off. Did you ever have any fear that they'd come back after you? Because obviously, they, they saw you. They knew who you were as a public thing. So I'm in. So my first two years in the league, I'm in the drug program. You know, what I mean, I can't smoke any weed, anything like that. So. You know, like, what's the one thing a lot of guys do to chill out when they come home? They, they smoke weed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, bro, so I can't smoke any weed. I got PTSD so bad. Like, yeah. Like, night terrors every single night. I'm, wow. sleeping. I'm sleeping for, like, 20 minutes at a time, maybe sleeping for, like, two or three hours a night and then going to football. You know what I'm saying? This is my second season. Not to mention, whenever I uh, got stabbed to put me back together... They had to cut me open from, uh, I had like 38 staples from above my belly button down to my, below my belly button. Holy and, shit. Uh, yeah. And like take out a part of my colon and put it back together. So I, um, coming off like the rookie of the year season, I'm like, damn, like when I woke up in the hospital, it was Mr. Rooney, Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, my mom and Dave DeCastro. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like. I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, like I got to prove to the team that, you know, I'm here for the team. I got to make my way back. Like by the time the season starts, all that. So I started playing football after like a month after or two months after this happened. I can't even hang from a pull-up bar without feeling like my stomach's going to rip open. But I'm out here mm. trying to freaking down block on three techs and pass pro against Mario yeah. and do crazy, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which like resulted in terrible play you know what i'm saying um i got benched after like four games my second year and uh like like i said developed ptsd in a really bad serious way like it was yeah it was terrible i um i almost shot my best friend from a night terror i uh, i lived with i lived with three of my buddies and uh like one of my two of my best friends since i was little guy. Um, one of them was getting ready for work one morning. It was like four 30. And, uh, like I, I would have this same night terror every, every night, multiple times, but it was that those guys like knew where I lived and I, I hear them like kicking in my front door and I live, uh, my room was in the basement. So I grab my gun and they come down and they all have guns and I have one bullet and I shoot one and then the other ones kill me. Right. And like, you know, you're not this is a recurring to, dream you have every night. Well, every time I fall asleep for years. Wow. Right. And so I, uh, I hear my friend in the kitchen. I don't, I don't know this, but I wake up from that night terror and I, I hear a big banging noise coming from upstairs. I'm like, fuck, it's real this time. Mm. So I grab my gun, run upstairs. I got an AR with a thermal scope on it, running up the stairs. You know what I'm saying? Like fresh out of bed, freaked out. I turn the corner into the kitchen and my best friends in there smashing frozen berries on the cutting board, trying to make the smoothie for before bed. And I thought some guys were kicking my door in. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible. 
Dude, that's an insane story. I'm yeah, like I'm trying not. to process myself. So, so what happens next? Oh, dude. So I just go about my, go about, you know, I fucking hit the floor and I'm like just crying, you know, I mean, devastated. He's freaked out. I'm freaked out. He's like, bro, it's all right, man. Like, you're all right. You know, so like, you know, mentally from there, I'm benched. I'm going through dealing with PTSD real bad. Physically, I'm all jacked up. You know what I'm saying? Um, like probably one of the lowest lows I've ever had in life, like suicidal thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's all like, dude, I lived, uh, I lived like three blocks away from this huge bridge. I would just joke around all the time. Like, yeah, man, I might as well just go fucking jump off that bridge tonight. You know what I mean? Like it was just terrible, terrible place mentally. Um, so right around this time is when our backup center, Pouncey was out for the year, so we had a we had a center come in, um, free agent from Tennessee, Fernando Velasco, and mm. Fernando hits me up like one day after practice, and he's like, "Hey man, my wife and I are gonna go try out this yoga class. We've never done one. You want to go with us? I hear it's really good for your core. It'd probably help you out." And so I'm like, "Well, damn, hell yeah, man, I'm I'm in. Let's go." So we go do a hot yoga class and amazing yoga in the south side of Pittsburgh, which is where I ended up uh, like starting my practice seriously and then also training to be a teacher. Um, Mm. And then teaching after I did teacher training as well. So it's it's a place that has gotten super, super near and dear to me. But um, yeah, man. Saved your life, right? Huh? I mean, it saved your life. Without a doubt. Unbelievably. And, um, so talk about that journey starting yoga, how long it took you. Like, did you instantly fall in love and start going regularly or did you just kind of slowly get into it? I'm like 345, 350 pounds. Go to this hot yoga class. It's dying. Yeah. It was, it's like a, like a 98 degree studio. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The teacher, like I know her now as a friend, she's like incredibly tough, hard teacher. You know what I mean? I go in there, man, 20 minutes into the hour, I'm like dying, laying on my back in Shavasana, trying not to mm. die. Literally trying not to die. I'm like taking my like <laughs> heartbeat. Like, uh, but I, you know, I left that class and I was like, man, like that was so hard. I was like, and I hated it, but I think I need to do that, you know? And yeah. um, so that off season, which that was like near the end of the season. So that off season, I had a friend who started teaching and I started going to her class all the time. I just was like, I'm on the yoga train. And, uh, so I started practicing, uh, probably like just like three times a week at that point. And, uh, which was good. And bro, I went from like three forty-five to like a two ninety-five, 300, like working out with no shirt on, you know what I mean? Feeling good. Yeah. Feeling great. Like was, feeling awesome and then went in my third year and like um played really well you know what i'm saying i uh we had a right tackle who had some injuries and stuff and so i think like i pretty much split the season with him on starts um and he was a big money guy you know what i mean and mm-hmm. um so i was like really pushing and then going into my fourth year um it was pretty much like I was competing for the left tackle job or left tackle at Torres ACL or whatever. And um, 
yeah, it was like pretty, it was my contract year. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And uh, we're in OTAs or whatever. And I have like, um, we're doing, we're just warming up before Indy. You know what I'm saying? Like moving side to side, redirect. And my freaking back, like, locks up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And I was yeah. like, damn, tight, like, real tight. And uh, I finished the day of practice. And I go in to change to go lift. And I go to get up out of my chair. And I was like this. And I got stuck. I was like, oh, shit. Like, trainer. <laughs> like, And uh, so, yeah, I herniated my L5-S1, like, massive herniation. And uh, it got stuck right on the sciatica. And um, so we went the rehab route. We tried to do a couple epidurals. Didn't work. Um, so I'm just kind of sitting around at this point because I couldn't, I couldn't move. And uh, we're trying to see if it would, you know, not be so flared up and after a month or so before camp. And, man, like, I walked in the training room one day and they're, like, you know, pulling your foot down and telling you to lift it up. And I couldn't lift my toes up. Mm. So like, fuck. And they're like, oh, man, like, you're getting drop foot. Like, you got to have surgery tomorrow. And so the next wow. day I had back surgery and, uh, which was like, I mean, both big things, the stomach and the back were huge, but the back being in a contract year coming off some of the best football in my life, I had just started to like really be a pro. I was out of the program. So I was smoking weed again and I was chilling. Like when I was dealing with PTSD my second year and like got benched and all that, couldn't smoke any weed. I was drinking a ton after that. Sure. Like a lot, you know, and like being a lineman, like, you know how much some of those big dudes drink. Like totally. I was, I was crushing drinks. Like, yeah. All, and it all, sucks that you can't use cannabis as like a stress relieving tool for that, which is what they're using it medicinally now for anyway, oh, because it's got this bad label, which is incredible. So I'm doing all this drinking and, uh, you know, my date for getting out of the program comes up and they call me and they're like, yeah, man, your last day of the program is Friday. You know what I mean? So I have a test on Friday. I'm out of the program and I got two fat dudes on my mm. living room table. Let's celebrate. Yeah, I'm ready. Right. Mm. And, uh, bro. So at this point I had been having like night terrors for about almost a year like recurring every single day. And uh, bro, I smoked some weed before bed that night and never had a night tear any night that I smoked before bed ever again in my life. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. and like, That's amazing. Yeah, completely changed the game for me. So like that and like starting yoga practice and all of that in that one off season, like going into my third year was key. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like starting to eat properly and all that like it would just yeah it all the whole combination of that stuff like really saved me yeah and then all of a sudden you break your back or you have this herniated disc so talk more about that and then and moving forward and how did you recover from from that yeah so then and this was just a terrible experience too you know what i mean because then you know the business side of the game comes in and all that and it was just uh like not a pleasant experience um you know, so I get the surgery and the first thing they tell you when you wake up is like, don't do anything but walk is tolerated for eight weeks. So the first instructions on your little send home packet, all that. Um, so I go home to my mom, I go to my mom's house so she can, uh, you know, help me out for a couple of weeks or whatever. 
And then preseason camp comes up, like, I think 10 days later, like 10 days after surgery. And uh, which for Pittsburgh, preseason camp is on this little campus in the middle of nowhere, like an hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh, right? And, uh, and it's just like all these huge hills, like you're walking everywhere. Every, like it's, yeah. And um, so they call me and they're like, yeah, man, like we got your room for you for camp, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, you come up here and rehab up here or whatever. And I'm like, I didn't even question it. I'm just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like I can't even walk yet at this point though, like at all. And uh, so Dave DeCastro picked me up like a couple of days later, we went up to camp and um, me and him were roommates. So I just like laid in the room all day. Like, cause I, I couldn't do anything. I definitely couldn't walk around that place. Couldn't like sit up for very long. You know what I mean? Like didn't want to be riding around on a golf cart, bumping around like, mm. and uh, so then they, uh, they get me into the training room and they're like, Hey, why don't you try to get on the elliptical? <sighs> And I'm oh like, my God. these are supposed I'm to be like, some of the best trainers and, and, and people, doctors in the world. Bro, the worst. And I'm like, what? It's like, such a conflict of interest, right? Because they're just trying to get you on the field. They don't really give a shit about you. It's all about the performance on the field. Yeah, they don't care at all. I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm not getting on the elliptical. I was like, you see what the instructions say for rehab? It's like, don't do anything. Just walk as tolerated for eight weeks. I was like, I'm not doing anything but walking for eight weeks. Like, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, then all these big disputes between the training staff and me and all this stuff started happening. And So they're um, making your life harder rather than easier. Uh, so I'm, much getting, I'm getting pissed off now just thinking about this because I, I dealt with a lot of this shit, too. I know everybody does. Bro, they tried to get me to sign over my injury protection rights to be able to rehab. Because, you know, then they can cut you and not pay you. And like... They, oh, they, did, they present that to you in a different way? Yeah. Yeah. They tell you, like, yeah, if you do this, you can go rehab somewhere else. But then they don't have any responsibility to you. don't have to pay you. You're basically signing away all of their responsibility. Right. And I had no intentions on going to rehab anywhere else. So how did that process play out? Did you, you obviously saw this and found out that they were trying to screw you over like this? Yeah, so my my rookie year when I got there, the same exact thing happened to the punter, back injury and all. Like, and it ended up ending his career because um, of the whole deal. He signed off his signed off on this thing, and uh, you know they basically cut him two days later. So how did it turn out for you? You end up not signing it. How did that relationship go moving forward? End up not signing it. They started having me try to do all this different rehab stuff. And uh, what happened was I re re-herniated the same disc and scar tissue formed around my uh, my spinal cord so they couldn't re-operate on it or else I would like, lose my legs. And uh, so, you know, they're like, yeah, now you just got to sit the whole season and hope, hope that the, uh, the scar tissue like, like, uh, it, like eats itself from around your spinal cord and that the disc just kind of you know, goes back in. And mm. so I'm just chilling at home in Ohio, like an hour away, um, hunting deer, you know what I mean? Spending a bunch of time walking around the woods, um, all that stuff. They wouldn't Getting back into yoga at this point. Um, so 
I'm not not quite yet, but I'm really, really getting the itch to. And Pittsburgh's not letting me rehab. I like drive down to football every day, go in there. They wouldn't let me do anything. My second opinion doctor's like, yeah, you need to start like training now, all this stuff. Pittsburgh's like, we're not going to let you start training unless you sign this paper. I'm like, what holy the fuck? shit. Yeah. And like, dude, I got like videos of me and the trainers getting in fights. They approached me. He approached me one time mid Bible study in the locker room on Friday morning and was just like, hey, can you sign this real quick? You know, like one of those. Without even saying what it is. And I absolutely lost it because I knew exactly what it was. You know what I mean? It was like one of those, it was to the point where it was like my agent was calling me every day when I would leave football to see like what happened that day. Like if they like if they tried anything that day or what, yeah. Wow. So it's it's. So like, how did this all play out, bro? I um had a meeting with Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, look, man, like this is bullshit. Like this is crazy. Like I know what's going on. Like you know what I'm saying? Um, I was like, honestly, like I don't trust you or anybody here anymore. You know what I mean? Like mm. as far as management wise. Um, and they were just like, do you think like maybe it might be in our best, you know, in all, everyone's best interest to just kind of part ways? And I was like, yeah, I think probably, you know. And so did they offer you an injury settlement at that point? No, they, um, so they had told my contract for the last year they were going to, they could pay me the same thing they paid me in my fourth year, which and keep me for a year since I didn't get to play my fourth year. Um, so whichever team signed me just had to pay me like, uh, would have just had to pay me that much. Yeah. That extended. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, cause you weren't making any real money at this point, right? Cause you're still in your rookie deal. Yeah, dude, I'm making like a million that year. You're like 985,000 or something. Yeah. And like if, and for people just to give some context, your, your, your free agent year, if you would have been able to play that year, that contract year, especially being such a highly touted plant, you're playing the best football of your life. You potentially could be making eight to $10 million a year as a, as an offensive tackle top rated during that time. Right. Yeah. And if you had signed that contract and you would have got injured, maybe the following year, like your fifth year, and you were to sign that deal, then you would have been, you know, getting most of that money, if not all of that, at least the guaranteed part. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, timing was not ideal for that. But, uh, but yeah, man. What year was this when it happened, when all this went down? Year four. Year four. 2016 then? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. 2015. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, man. So I started doing like doing yoga again because the Steelers won't let me go work out and stuff. I'm like, well, fuck, man, I got to do something. So I started doing yoga and I started going to yoga class. Um, I was the yoga teacher now that I was going to. She's a great friend of mine. Uh, Shout out Yoga Jean on Instagram. There's Mm. a plug. There's Um, a plug. But uh, she just like completely helped like reshape me. You know what I mean? Build my back up, build my legs up, my core, all that. Um, and I was doing uh, a lot of Pilates at the time as well. Um, and just really focusing on everything in the center. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this is also when a lot of the uh, the mental aspects of yoga came into play. Because for the first time in my life, everything was so uncertain. You know what I mean? I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to play again, if I wanted to play again. Um, you know, the team that I grew up, 
you know, dreaming about playing for, got drafted by all that, just kind of like turned their backs on me. And I like hated, you know, just hated everything about it. Um, so yeah, it was at a time where I really, really needed, really needed yoga and it just stepped right in. And yeah, uh, yeah we'll, we'll talk more about that. Let me, let's just finish up the journey. Like what happened that final year that you guys decided to part your ways? Is that your last year playing and your, and your career is uh, finally over? No. So yeah, I just, I just left. Um, we, they called me in the morning, released me. I went home and, um, I started doing a bunch of yoga, started working out. I met, um, I actually met a guy by the name of John Cole. He's a Steelers Hall of Famer. He's Terry Bradshaw's left tackle for all the Super Bowls and stuff. Um, and he's a physical therapist in the town, the little, the small little town I was living in. And a guy saw me at the gym and was like, Hey, John Kolb said he'd really like to work with you. Uh, training. If you, if you're open to it, he said, just go on down to the place he works and see him. So I went down there like the next day and went and saw him and, uh, he started rehabbing me and training me and dude, like got the strongest, leanest strongest like that i've ever been you know what i mean like felt really good again and uh you know i was like waking up going to yoga going to do pt um or going to do pt then going to yoga then going to pilates and then going to work out again um and so i told my agent like yeah man i'm ready like you know i can play whatever so the bears hit me up the bears and a couple other teams with the bears first and I went there, worked out against another lineman, and then, you know, signed, signed that day. And uh, played that year up in Chicago and um, ended up – I didn't do any yoga during the season, which is where I really, really fucked up. But, um, like, week 12 or something like that, I uh, was playing against, like, JPP and the Giants. Ended up, like, partially tearing my shoulder – bicep but like not totally on the bicep so you know the next day I walk through I'm all like jacked up like can barely move I go to get down in my stance during PAT bro my back locks up oh and I was like oh shit dude like shoulder bicep back I was like it's over yeah yeah you knew in that moment this is it right there yeah I was like yep I walked I, I like Walked over to the sideline and was just like, I finished the day, but I was just like, oh, shit, like, this is bad. Like, it's real bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, it got so bad that I couldn't get out of bed, couldn't move. I was, like, all nervous because I signed an injury waiver on my back before I uh, signed with Chicago. So, mm-hmm. like, if I hurt my back, they could just release me and not pay me or anything. Um and I still had, you know, a couple hundred thousand left on the table for the year. So I'm like, damn. And uh, so I'm like nervous. I didn't say anything to him at first. And uh, we had a long weekend, a bye week. So I'm just at home, like laying in bed, like down bad, crying the whole, the whole bit. And uh, called my agent and I was just like, dude, I, I messed my back up the other day. It's like the worst it's ever been. You know what I mean? And, um, so yeah, then I went into the train. He told me to go into the training room. I went in and Chicago took such great care of me. Oh, I'm so they, glad you had that experience. Bro, they paid me for the rest of the year and had me there and rehabbed me. 
until it was yeah. Because what is a couple hundred grand to them? Even in Pittsburgh, like it's not like you had signed that forty, fifty million dollar deal yet. So it's not well, like they even needed to do that. They could have easily taken better care of you. That's just Yeah. Oh, it was wild. I'm glad you experienced that on the back end because at least you know there's some good because a lot of times the, the the teams and the system is kind of screwed against the player, but there's still individual good people that are trying to take care uh, of the players. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was uh, definitely great to have that experience. And so, because I mean, you know, that's how guys get their relationship with the game ruined. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And uh, so yeah, to have that experience was great. And then I came home and. Um, you know, I, I had had a bunch of epidurals before and none of them had ever worked. And I had a family friend who was a back doctor and um, he did one epidural on me. And before I got off the table, I could, I had no back pain. And wow. uh, yeah, so it was that day I like, I went to a yoga class that night and uh, I just was like, I got to lose all this weight. I was like 315. I got to lose all this weight as soon as I can before this thing wears off in a month or two. And uh, hopefully that'll make me feel like my back feel a lot better. So, and this is, you already had made the decision to be done playing at this point. Yeah. 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 And so I, um, I lost like, I went from 315 to like 250, like a couple months, like real quick. And uh, I was just working out all the time, out in the woods, hunting deer, doing all that stuff. I live on a farm in Ohio. You know what I mean? Uh, so it was just, yeah, I was just chilling, man. And um, making the transition out of the game was, like, crazy. Like, so many, it was just a, a wild roller coaster, so many ups and downs. I was, uh, I heard you talking about... Um, guess you had on you guys were talking about psychedelics and shamanic healing i mm. uh definitely dabbled all in the psychedelics learned so much about myself and uh yeah like i mean you talk about introspect like mm. there was a good year and a half there where i was just like learning all about my mental state and um, like my triggers and uh, dealing with past traumas and all that stuff, like regularly. You know what I mean? Wow. And yeah, man, I want to dive into all of that, man. I feel like we could talk for so long. It's, it's amazing. Uh, we might have to do like a second yeah. episode, like a part two, because like I did not expect your journey to be that fucking crazy, bro. Oh, like, I mean, all the all the trauma that you just shared with me just from your NFL football career and then what you had to deal with in college and being able to process that. I mean, I don't even know where to begin, man. Um, like, I appreciate you sharing and being so open about it. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about yoga and how that kind of set the foundation. Because I know my journey, like I, I started doing yoga for the physical aspects because my body's in so much pain and it really helped. But then it really helped slow me down. and connected my mind to my body and then it started improving my mental state and then my emotional state. It helped me be more center and clear. And, you know, I just, I just want to like, how did you, how are you able to process your career and everything that happened mentally and emotionally and the getting stabbed and the PTSD and then feeling like the NFL turned their backs on you and that bad taste in your mouth? Like, how did you I mean, was it the plant medicine? Was that the big catalyst or was it like the journey of all of it kind of coming together? Um, I mean, I think, 
Yeah, I think just a lot of all of it coming together. You know, I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's so many things I could pinpoint that just I had so many different aha moments. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, with yoga, I mean, with yoga, my aha moments on the mat came before my last, like, started coming before my sure. last movie, um, which made it really weird when I got to Chicago because I was kind of like like way over the whole type a competitive atmosphere so mm. it made it really weird for me in that respect but i still love the game of football you know what i mean Just been doing it for 20 some years you know like um but so it made it real weird for me in that respect and we also weren't very good so that wasn't any fun um but yeah when i got done uh being able to go somewhere where i could push myself physically you know what i mean and just knowing that like the way I would connect it would be like, yeah, like there's going to be all these times in life. Like I've already had all these times in life where I'm like, damn, man, like I could quit now. You know what I mean? Um, and in yoga class, especially as a big guy getting into it, there's all these moments in class where it's like, oh yeah, I could quit now. I could take a child's pose. I could drop to my knees. I could, you know, do whatever. I could shake it out and get back in the pose or whatever. But I would look at every practice as a chance to be like, make myself super uncomfortable and like going through all this and to be able to push and be able mm. to think myself past those barriers. And as I got to them physically, I would have all these moments mentally where I'd be like, you know, going through some stuff and I would find myself in that same headspace. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, like I could push through it. And then like I started noticing I'd be driving in the car and I'd be pissed about something and I'd start breathing. Mm. You know? Like, and I was like, oh man. Like, started bringing those tools off the mat with you. Yeah, right? yeah, like all the time. And it just, uh, like I've always, so like my life at no point was ever really like sunshine and rainbows or easy. So I've always been a person who believes in the power of positivity um, because like even with having all of this really crazy stuff happening in my life since childhood, I was able to, set my mind on something and manifest it and make it happen. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, with the power of the mind, power of the it's mind, everything positive, having, having that will to go after it. So mm. I, I knew that like, yeah, like I'm not in a great place mentally right now. Like I hate the game, which I don't want to hate the game. And that makes me sad. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, I have been doing this for 21, 22 years and now I don't have an option to do it. I can't physically do it. I feel all this pain every day. And so that makes me sad knowing that I'm in all this pain. I'm only 27. I don't have kids. I'm not married. I want to have kids. I want to be able to play with my kids. Am I always going to feel like this? You know, like my shoulder and my back and my knee and stuff, like they all feel like a rusty doorknob. You know what I mean? I'm like, how, how am I going to make this happen? You know, and like, how am I going to like get out of this? There's no way I can just feel like this forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I want to stop you right there because that's a perfect segue. I think what we should do is do another conversation where we dive into all the healing modalities, your journey through psychedelics, your journey through yoga. How much do you weigh now? Well, I'm like 245. 245 and shredded. I see you on Instagram, man. You looking so good. You're happy, like your energy. And just, I didn't even know that whole story that you just shared. And just the way that you focused 
on overcoming that and not becoming a victim of your life, but continue to push through and learning through it is so inspiring to me. And I know it's going to be inspiring to a lot of people, but I feel like we could talk for another hour and a half on just that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to come on for a part two at some point uh, soon, hopefully if you have the time and we'll get, we'll dive into that. Um, and go ahead right now at the end of this episode, plug your Instagram and where anybody can find you, what you're working on now. And then, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Oh man. Well, uh, you guys can find me on Instagram, uh, Mike Adams, Mike underscore Adams 75. Um, I'm working on right now. I just moved to Florida, so I'm kind of getting acquainted here having fun with all that. Um, started teaching at a new studio down here called the body electric, uh, which has been great. And I'm trying to, uh, I just spent some time with some other, uh, former athletes, former football guys, um, learning in a mental health space, you know what I mean? About depression, anxiety, coping skills, all that. Um, so much like you, I'm just kind of in a place where I'm trying to help integrate those things into our community. Um, so yeah, man, just, uh, out here trying to spread the light, brother. Beautiful, man. And I'm so glad we we connected. And I'm so glad that we're on this journey together. And for all those of you, I mean, I have to go process this whole story myself. I know <laughs> I can't wait to learn how you processed it yourself. So this is part one. We'll definitely do a second part soon. Uh, so everybody that's listening to this, go look for that second part. Um, if you want to learn how he kind of transitioned from this really crazy story um, into finding, you know, really a lot of peace, equanimity, and really trying to support others going through their journey, which is really beautiful. I'm really excited to uh, continue this conversation, brother. Heck yeah, man. I appreciate it, bro. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Wow. I'm still trying to process that story. I think it's going to take me a few hours, few days to really let that sink in. Um, and I'm really interested to hear more about how the man that actually went through those experiences processed them and continues to process them. Um, really incredible story. I'm still in shock um, about how much he's been through and how openly he's shared. I'm really excited to be on this journey with him. He, like I said uh, in the intro, he is a part of the community, the Heart Collective, a uh, community for this brotherhood of former male professional athletes that is growing every single day. Uh, if you are a former player and you're looking for community of support for guys that know what it's like to go through these types of experiences, I know Mike definitely has a lot of value to add. He's going to be our yoga practitioner. He's going to provide value in breath work workshops, uh, among a lot of other things. Um, so if you're interested in joining the community and being part of a brotherhood, um, Go to theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T collective.com to learn more. You can apply there or you can reach out to me directly at joe at theheartcollective.com. That's my email. Or you can reach out to me on Instagram at joe.holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y. I'd love to hear from you. Um, you are not alone. We are all trying to be better and reach our highest potential. And this community is built exclusively for former male professional athletes so that we can um, sharing our experience together, trying to reach our highest potential outside of sports. Um, like I said, Mike's part of the community. I'm really excited to have him on board. We will be recording a second episode very soon. And I am really looking forward to hearing more about his journey post-athletics and how he's handled processing this wild journey of life he's been on and his vision for the future and sharing tools and tricks that's helped him lose 
going from 350 to 245, losing over 100 pounds. He's shredded. Go follow him on Instagram and check out. He does yoga poses. He looks great. He's shredded. It's really amazing. He's really just an inspiration to me and I'm excited to get to know him more. Uh, So reach out to him, connect with him and look out for that next episode. And we'll dive in a little bit deeper under the transition. Hope you're all doing well and I'll talk to you next time.